my wife and I were dating, uh, my wife and I have been married for 17 years. My wife's name is Jaya. And uh, when Jaya and I were dating, we uh, had some conflict at different times. And I remember this one conflict. We were actually dating for quite a while, kind of getting close to that time where you should be thinking about engagement. You know, you should, you should poop or get off the pot, as they say, right? Um, like I was feeling that a little bit. And I think she was maybe causing me to feel that a little bit. And, and everybody around us was like, what are you guys doing? It's about that time. And uh, in that kind of season, we had a conflict one day. And to be honest, I can't really tell you what it was specifically about. I just remember standing in the parking lot in front of our church, which was also in front of my house because I was an intern and lived right next to the house. It was always a place of conviction for me. When you live next to the church, it's always like everything in your life is, is bleeding into the church and God and the Holy Spirit. And, and I just remember we were talking and I, I do remember I was a little short with her. I don't remember what I said. But I remember it was a long day and I was a little short. Uh, and then I felt like she was a little short with me. And, and then I felt something else. I felt this stirring that I should say something about this. But then I thought, no, I'll just give it time. And we left and didn't talk about it. And then in fact, a, a couple of days passed and we didn't text, not because we were mad at each other, but because that was impossible. We didn't have cell phones, kids. I know, I know. To ask your parents, one day there was no cell phones. And so we, we didn't communicate and, and we didn't call each other and leave a message on our answering machines either. Like we just, we kind of had a couple days of radio silence and we went to work and we went to school and, and did all these things. And, and then I remember we did talk on the phone, but it was very surface level and it kind of was that same awkwardness. And I thought about bringing it up and I just thought, I'll do it next time. Let's just give it a little bit more time. And then several days can continue to pass. And I remember I was sitting in my house right next to the church and I was talking to my college pastor just kind of casually uh, because he was right there. And, and I was just kind of tell him, telling him like, hey, I, I don't know if it's gonna work out with me and Jaya. And he's like, what, really? Like, I thought you guys were getting close to the finish line here. What happened? And I was like, well, you see, we had this awkward conversation in the parking lot. And he was like, uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And then we, she was kind of, I was short with her. She was kind of short. And then like we left. And then like I talked to her the other day and, and like she didn't say I loved you. And, and then like we kind of just hung up the phone and went about our business. And, and like, and there's just been all this time in between. And like, I, I think we might be done. <laughs> and I remember my college pastor looking at me like, oh, oh, child. Uh, <laughs> One, like, just get ready for awkwardness and conflict and marriage, bro. That's what's coming for you. Uh, but two, I mean, like, he's like, he said this to me. He said, do you love this girl? And I said, well, I thought I did. <laughs> and he said, man, Tim, if you love this girl, you will pursue her. And you will go to her and you'll apologize. You'll bring up the conflict. You'll repent. You'll forgive. You'll do whatever it takes if you, if you love her. So I remember I heard him say that and it just clicked for me and I kind of woke up from my slumber. And I mean, I went to Jaya and I brought up the, hey, it just seems like it's been kind of weird. I brought it up. I brought it up directly and I apologized and, uh, and I forgave her before she even apologized to me. And I just, I wanted to, to bring this to the light and experience healing and reconciliation. 
And as I talked, she began to talk and she was experiencing the exact same thing. She was thinking, well, he, he was kind of short with me. He hasn't called me. He didn't do this. Hey, I wonder, I guess maybe we're breaking up. Maybe this is the end. And do you know how all of that happened? Time. Just time. By itself, time. You know what time produced in our relationship in the midst of that conflict? Insecurity, defensiveness, lies from the enemy, and then more conflict, not less. See, here's why I tell you that. We're in the series, Lies About Love, and, and our fourth lie, the one we're covering today, is this lie of time heals all wounds. And here's the reality. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a nice sounding comment. Like it's a, it's a wishful thinking comment of like, hey, if I could just get more time. Hey, just, why don't you, you guys had a conflict. Hey, just give it a little bit of time. As though time will magically heal your wound. And, and we know like if you actually have a physical wound, like you, you don't just need time, you need some neosporin right? You need some hydrogen peroxide. You got to clean that sucker out for it to heal properly, for it to actually come, come back together. And yet sometimes in our relationships, in our conflict, we're just like, yeah, just give it more time. I just need some more time as though that's magically going to heal the wound. That will just conceal the wound. And some of you know this, like some of you, you never went through a process of repentance, of forgiveness from some wounds when you were a child. And those wounds have come back up when you're 40, 50, 60 years old, and they're invading other conversations and relationships, and they're leading to more conflict. And just giving it time didn't do anything but create bitterness and resentment and insecurity and more conflict. And so here's, that's the lie, time heals all wounds. Here's the truth, and we'll have it on the screen. The truth is time by itself doesn't heal. It's what you do with your time. Time by itself doesn't heal. It's what you do with your time. And and the Bible is going to tell us throughout 66 books, 40 plus authors, what we should do with our time in the midst of conflict is forgive. The forgiveness is actually the key to unlock healing in the midst of your conflict, to unlock the possibility for love and peace and relationship. And here's why this is so important for us. We're talking about how to navigate love and healthy relationships in the midst of this culture. And the reality is all of us have conflict in the midst of those relationships, in the midst of that love. It doesn't matter if you're married, if you're dating, if you're friends, if you're just in our church, no relationship is immune to conflict. It's not, not even yours. And some of you right now, you're holding hands with your sweetie and you're like, he doesn't know us, baby. He just, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And like, listen, you're the ones who need the most intense counseling, okay? (laughs) And so let me just save you. Like no relationship is immune from conflict. We all experience it. And so how we respond to it will be the difference in failing in our relationships or flourishing in our relationships. So we have to get this biblical idea of, of forgiveness in the midst of conflict. So that's what we're going to look at. I'm going to talk to you guys briefly just about how we forgive and then why we forgive. How we forgive and then why we forgive from Colossians 3 with the help of the Apostle Paul 
and the Holy Spirit. And so let's look at it together. Colossians 3, 12 through 15, it says this. The Apostle Paul says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you are indeed called in one body and be thankful. Here's our first point is how we forgive, how we forgive. And just a a brief shout out to pastor, author, Tim Keller, who's actually recently passed away. He wrote a book called Forgive uh, that our staff is actually going through right now really helpful book for our staff. I think it would be really helpful for you. And some of these concepts come from obviously the Bible, Apostle Paul, Holy Spirit, but some of them come from Tim Keller. I think it can be really helpful for you. It's a book called Forgive. Here's how we forgive. Here's the first thing that you can write down. It's, it's this, it's name the offense, don't excuse it. Name the offense, don't excuse it. Look at verse 13 with me. Uh, we see Paul's solution for conflict super clear. We see this word forgiveness three times in three different forms in half a verse, right? Look at it with me. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Okay, Paul, I think we got it, right? You guys got it? Forgive, forgive, forgive. He makes that abundantly clear. But here's what Paul also makes abundantly clear. You see it in verse 13, bearing, complaint, We see it earlier. If you just move up a few verses, verse five, you get this long list of names for conflict, for wrongdoing. So he makes forgiveness really clear, but he makes the wrongdoing just as clear. The reason you have to bear with one another, be patient with one another, is because you have wronged one another. You have complaints, he says. And then again, verse five, look back at that verse again with me. He gives this list by name of conflicts, of wrongs. He says sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He continues verse 8. He says anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Now, some of you wish he didn't name all those wrongs, right? Because they make you uncomfortable about your own sins. Right. But here, here's, what, here's what Paul is doing. He's, he's completely unbiased. He's completely universal in his, in his language about who has done wrong. He says, you forgive each other. He says, one another. Like Paul gets that, like no one is immune from this. He, he, say, he doesn't say anywhere in there like, hey, some of y'all, you see that? No, it's always each other, one another. And then he names all of these sins, all of these wrongs, all of these conflicts, and he names them explicitly. I I don't know if you noticed in there like uh, mistakes. Did you see that word? Regrets, misunderstanding. I I don't see that anywhere. I I see malice, anger, covetousness, sexual immorality. Again, it makes us feel uncomfortable because Paul actually names the conflict as he calls us to forgive the conflict. See, here's why I think so many of us, we struggle to forgive, is because we think that forgiveness means excusing the wrong. Like some of you, you, 
This is not hypothetical. This is not ethereal. This is personal. It's practical in real time right now. You have some conflict right now. Your spouse wronged you this morning. Your kids talked back to you. Kids, I know earmuffs, like I know you would never, but like hypothetically, you know, like that happens sometimes. You have some conflict again from when you were a kid with your father and the things he said to you or didn't say to you. And and right now, like all of us, we have some sort of conflict. And my question would be is, have you forgiven that, that wrong? Have you walked through a process of forgiveness? And I would guess if you're like me, we could say this morning, like, well, but not, not, not yet. Not for that one. And it's not just because it happened five minutes ago. <laughs> it's because you think, if I forgive them, I will let them off the hook. I will be excusing the hurt that he or she caused. I will just be letting it go. And we do that in the church. We're like, hey, man, I'm struggling with the way this guy wronged me. This, this, this girl wronged me. You don't understand how, what they said to me, what they, what they did to me. And sometimes in the church, we'll just make it really simple and pithy. Like, well, just forgive them. Just forgive them. And we almost like act like, yeah, just, just blow it off. Just sweep it under the rug. And many times, like, because we think that's what will happen, we do not forgive. And what I'm here to tell you is the Bible, just as it's clear about the forgiveness, it's also as clear that you name the offense. Forgiveness doesn't sweep it under the rug. Forgiveness actually engages you in a time where you start to get to the root of what really hurt you. You start to name. You're like, well, Tim, I I know, I know what, I know what hurt me is when he yelled at me or when she just left. And I would say, yeah, that's a part of it, but that's not all of it. How many of you have been to counseling? I mean, I, I, yeah, I went to a counselor earlier this year. And so, by the way, just to let you know, it's okay to go to counseling. I went to a counselor earlier this year. I'm, a, I'm your pastor. I did that. And I wanted to talk about the last nine years of my life and some like church planning and just some hard things that I encountered. You know what the counselor wanted to talk about? Me in fourth grade. And I immediately regretted the, the decision to go to counseling. I was like, I don't want to talk about me in fourth grade. Like, I just want to talk about this. And he's like, well, no, you see some of these surface level things that you've experienced with these relationships, man, they're sourced from a deeper place. And you got to excavate that. You got to uproot that. You really want to heal from this. You got to name those things. It was uncomfortable. I did not like it, but it was helpful and it was healing because I began to name the offense and get to the root of it. And many times in the midst of conflict, you're so enraged, you're so bitter, you're so resentful that you can't see clearly in that state. And you don't even know, you haven't even named the actual hurt or conflict. And therefore you can never heal from it because you don't actually know what it is. You just know you're mad and you just know you've been hurt. And so you need to hear this today, like, Hey, Paul, the Bible, it doesn't excuse offenses. It names them. It starts to excavate what they really are so that they can be healed, so that they can be made whole. That's where forgiveness starts. So some of you, man, you've been told, hey, just forgive and start with forgive. What I'm telling you is no, start with your pain. Start by naming it. 
like Paul named these other things. It's gonna be uncomfortable. Some of you need to write these things down on a three by five note card and you need to start writing down, hey, what wrong did I experience? Some of you do need to meet with a counselor or a pastor to uproot some of those things and not believe the lie that forgiveness is just gonna sweep that under the rug. No, it's gonna name the offense. It's not gonna excuse it. That's what forgiveness looks like. Here's the second thing. Identify with the offender. No amens on that one? Even as I wrote that one down, I knew you guys weren't gonna like it, right? You're like, where is he going with this? Identify with the offender. Stay with me. Look at verse 13. Again, notice the all-encompassing language Paul uses. He says, bearing with one another, complaint against another, forgiving each other. Paul seems to put us all in the same playing field when it comes to conflict. He he doesn't say some of y'all. This is an us. This applies to us. It's universal. It's unbiased that we all have conflict because we're all sinners. Listen, here's the formula for conflict. You want to know it? It's really complicated. Get ready to write it down. The formula for conflict is this, me plus you. That's it. You plus the other person. Two sinful people with all your insecurities and all your unmet expectations and all your your flawed views and nature inherently in your heart and your mind. You plus another person with that same condition, and we're all in the same condition as fallen people, you plus that other person equals conflict. And so on some level, no matter what they did to you, no matter what they said to you, no matter what they they didn't do to you, on some level, they are a sinner and you are a sinner. And when we don't come to that level playing field, that we're never able to forgive because we have put ourselves in a different spot and they're down here and we're up here and we're, we're not playing on the same field, like in bowling, like we have the bumpers and they don't. And we're keeping score that way, right? And we're factoring in, we're like, yeah, but they, they said that, uh, well, but you said this first. Well, yeah, but you know, I was tired and I was hungry. Hey, do you ever notice that in conflict with your spouse, you assume they're 100% and just wanted to inflict wounds on you that day. And, and, but for you, you factor in intent and motivation and your old history. Like, I'm generally a nice person. Why, why she got to give me such a hard time? But, so you, you give yourself the benefit of the doubt, but you assume the worst about the other person. Anybody with me today? Yeah. <laughs> you know it's true. Amen. And here's the problem with that. Man, you're keeping like a weighted score. It's, it's, it's not gonna equal out. Like you're not the just rule keeper referee. You have a bias toward yourself. Like you wanna win the conflict. Let me tell you, as long as you do that, forgiveness will be impossible. Forgiveness will be impossible. On some level, in the midst of what they said and what they did that was real, that hurt you, on some level, you need to identify they're a sinner and I'm a sinner. Uh, my youth pastor growing up would always say this to me, and it was always so scary, but so true. We're all one mistake away from ruining our lives. 
And he didn't say like some of y'all are one mistake away from ruining your lives. He said he was a pastor and he was like, hey, we're all in this boat. We're all capable of things. And many times where we start with forgiveness is, yeah, but this other person and we start to elevate and this, and can you believe? And these people, people are crazy. Like I heard a song about it. God is good. Beer is great, but people are crazy. And amen, that's so true. And you're like, you're one of the people. Did you, (laughs) he was singing about you too. And at some level, if we're gonna experience forgiveness, we have to identify with the offender and say, I'm a sinner too. Like, I could do that too. In a bad day, in a worst, worst moment, like I could say that, I could do that too because I am that sinful. Forgiveness is possible when we begin to identify with the offender. Here's the third thing. We cancel the debt and we entrust the burden. We cancel the debt and we entrust the burden. Here's what forgiveness looks like. You gotta name the offense, you don't excuse it. You gotta identify with the offender. And then thirdly, you cancel the debt and entrust the burden. Verse 13, that word forgive literally means to cancel a debt, to wipe it away, to release the debt. We see a great illustration of this in Matthew 18. Jesus tells a story of a king and a servant who owes him and the amount he owes him in like real time is like $4 billion. Like it's a massive debt that he could actually never repay. But he had every right to get that payment. He was the king, this was the servant. And he incurred this massive debt. And the king eventually says, you're free from the debt. I forgive the debt. It's canceled. You're released from it. Cancels the debt. That's what forgiveness is. But I want you to notice the distinction. Canceling doesn't mean forgetting. Again, I think another reason why many of us struggle to forgive is when we hear cancel the debt, like it's, it's, it's removed completely. We're like, and you forgive and you forget. Listen, if you actually read the whole Bible, everywhere for forgiveness is mentioned, we are not actually called to forget that only God can keep no record of wrongs because he is holy and he is sovereign and you are not. It's impossible to I just forget, forget. I mean, you can write it a hundred times on the whiteboard and you'll still remember, especially the wrong that's been done to you. Here's what forgiveness does as you cancel that debt. It's, it's not forgetting, it's remembering without resentment. It's remembering without bitterness. Like some of you, man, I I know you've been wronged. And some of you need to hear today, like, I believe you and you're not crazy. And like, most importantly, like God believes you. And unlike me, he sees you. He sees what that other person said. You need to hear me. He sees what that other person did 20 years ago, five minutes ago. Like God believes you and he sees you. You're not crazy. You're not making too big of a deal. Like that hurt is is real. And I'm sorry it happened to you. But forgiveness, here's what it does. It gives you the opportunity to be healed from that hurt. The real hurt that you experienced. Not by forgetting it, but by remembering it with no more resentment and no more bitterness and no more bondage. 
And many times we, we think, well, no, yeah, but Tim, I'll, I'll let them off the hook. And, and actually you're gonna put them on God's hook. Like that's what Romans chapter 12 tells us. You, you put them on God's hook. Romans chapter 12 says, hey, don't take revenge. Leave room for the wrath of God. When you've been wronged and you take revenge, you don't leave room for the wrath of God. When you remember, but without resentment, when you forgive and you cancel that debt of that real wrong that happened to you, you're not just canceling the debt. You're entrusting that burden. You're entrusting that debt to God, the holy God, the just God, who, who leaves no sin unpunished, unpaid for. In the economy of God, all sins, all wrongdoing, everything he said, everything she did, everything they didn't do, everything from 20 years ago to everything five minutes ago, Jesus pays for it all on the cross or it will be paid for in hell. That's the truth. And so what Romans 12 tells us is like, hey, hey, don't you take care of it with revenge. Let God take care of it with righteous wrath. He knows better how to do that than you do, right? And so it's not, it's not that you're forgetting. It's not that you're sweeping it under the rug. You are canceling that debt and you're entrusting it to God, not yourself. Because here's what happens. You entrusting it to yourself doesn't go well, right? You, you think like, well, forgiveness, no, I'm gonna let him out. I'm gonna let him off the prison. Like he's gonna be released and no consequences. No, you're the one in the prison, you're taking the poison pill and expecting them to die. Forgiveness unlocks your prison. Let God deal with them. He knows, he sees. I remember for me, like early on in my, in my 20s in ministry, there was, there was a guy who wronged me. And I just, it messed me up because he was a guy who shouldn't have wronged me. He was a leader in the church. And it just, I, I didn't know how to, how to wrestle with that. And I just had so much resentment so much bitterness in my heart. I mean, I, I carried that like while I was leading in the church. And I just thought, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna prove that guy wrong. And everything I did, man, I, I was just, I wasn't just lifting the heavy weight of like counseling and preaching a sermon because that's, that's weighty by itself and building a church. I wasn't just lifting, lifting that heavy weight. That guy was sitting on top of everything I was lifting and it was heavier. And it was, ultimately, I couldn't lift it anymore. It began to crush me. Anybody been there? And I just realized one day, like, I don't think I forgave that guy. I think I'm, I think I'm full of resentment and bitterness. And in my mind, isn't this crazy? It's a lie about love. It seems true, but it's a lie. In my mind, I thought, that was freedom. I'm gonna make him pay. I'm gonna get back at him. I'm gonna show everybody. And that felt like that freedom. And yet it was, it was intense bondage and it, it wasn't healing and it wasn't helpful. And it caused me not just to remain in that hurt, but it caused me to hurt other people because of that cynicism and that bitterness that gets on other people. It's not just about you. That gets on other people. That gets on your marriage. That gets on your new friendships. That gets on your new church. And if you don't let that go, that same hurt that devastated you, you're gonna to start to hurt other people that way. And God has a way for you not to experience that and for you not to inflict that. He has a way for healing and it's forgiveness. It's canceling that debt. 
You can't change that person. You can't change what happened to you. That hurt was real. You need to hear that. It was real. It really happened. It did hurt. But if you don't forgive, you're choosing to remain in that hurt. You're choosing to be held hostage by that hurt. When God has made a way for you to experience healing from the hurt and move forward in life and not hurt other people, And it's all found in this idea of forgiveness. Now, this this may be, here's why I'm giving you four steps. It's because this may be a process for some of you. So you're like, yeah, I've been told this, Tim. Every other sermon, like, just forgive. Okay, I got it. Like, I forgive. Sure, is that that the key to unlock this prison? What I would say is maybe it's a process for you. You know, Jesus in Matthew 18, when he's asked by Peter, how many times should, should we forgive? He says, seven times. Should we forgive seven times? Which is so interesting. Don't you love Peter? Like in the Jewish kind of rule book at the time, three times was the expected number of times to forgive. But Peter's like, I'm gonna gonna come with something good, Jesus. How about seven times? Is that good, Jesus? Waiting for the pat on the back. And Jesus is like, how about seven times 70? Like 490, I'm not that good at math. And that's not even the point. Jesus is saying like, unlimited forgiveness. Like that's the number of completion. You keep forgiving till the bitterness and resentment is wrong. So some of you, you were wronged by somebody and you went back to that town or you didn't literally do that. You just heard the song. Anybody been there? You just heard the song from that time period where that person said that thing or did that thing. You hear that song and you're like, I actually forgave that person, but here it comes all again. And maybe you need to forgive them again. Seven times 70. Until your heart is really healed from it, until you can remember it without resentment. And God has given you this gift of forgiveness. You cancel the debt, but you also entrust it to God. And you keep doing that. And he does bring healing. Here's the last thing. Aim for reconciliation. Aim for reconciliation. So forgiveness equals canceling a debt. It almost seems very transactional, right? Like we use an economical term, a financial term, like cancel that debt. But it's actually very powerful in the context of relationship. If you keep reading verse 14 and 15 of chapter three, this forgiveness, this canceling of a debt is what enables you to put on love and let peace reign in your heart. It's what's enabled, it's what unlocks the possibility for you to put on love that binds everything in perfect harmony. It's what enables for you to let peace reign in your heart, right? Forgiveness is what unlocks that. But I think we got to cover two areas with reconciliation in the process of forgiveness. I think some of you are probably thinking of one right now, and we're going to hit both of them, whether you're thinking of them or not. Here's the first error error in reconciliation as a part of forgiveness. The first error is that we can assume reconciliation can and always should happen. We can assume reconciliation, no matter what the situation, no matter if there's abuse, no matter what the offense was, like you can always reconcile, right? And sometimes as, as the church, big C church, like we've made this error. We've just told everybody, hey, this is the process, follow these steps that I'm kind of giving you. And at the end, you should be back together. And if you are not, what is wrong with you, right? And here's, I'm gonna make a little case that that's an error. The Bible actually acknowledges 
that you may not be able to reconcile. Give you a couple verses. Hebrews chapter 12, it says, strive for peace with everyone. Well, that means you should strive for it. But it also means you may not get it. Romans chapter 12, as far as it depends on you, make peace. See, forgiveness takes one. Reconciliation takes two. Right there, as far as it depends on you. Well, that must mean that maybe if the other person is not willing to to do their part, we can't actually have renewed and restored relationships. This is where some of you are thinking about like, okay, Tim, we're supposed to cancel the debt and trust it to God, forgive and heal because of that. But he's never apologized. But she doesn't even know what she's done to me. I mean, Tim, they're they're off like living their best life. And first of all, I would say like, exactly. So you need to forgive them because again, you're the one that's in prison and they're fine. How's that working out? You need to forgive them. Well, they haven't apologized. We're not... It doesn't say, Paul doesn't give the disclaimer, only if they apologize. Jesus, he was asked by Peter, like, how many times? We could have gotten into a very mechanical, formulaic version of repentance and forgiveness. Jesus didn't feel the need to. He said seven times 70. Because it's a part of your healing, whether they apologize or not. And here's what I would say, is as you apologize or as you forgive somebody, that does increase the possibility they might repent to you. Because you soften towards somebody else and you think, well, they haven't done that yet. That increases the possibility, oh, I'm forgiven. Why would you do that? And they might start to think about repentance. But again, they might not. And so as far as it depends on you, you make peace. But you have to come to the realization that peace may not be there because forgiveness takes one, but Reconciliation takes two. And sometimes we make an error of assuming reconciliation is always possible. Here's the second error that, that I think we make. We remove reconciliation from this list altogether. Some of you would have loved just to end with number three. <laughs> Cancel the debt. I've forgiven them, Tim, in my head. And I'm moving on. And I would say that's equally an error. We see in this passage, we, we forgive... And then we see there's love and there's peace. We see in Matthew chapter five, blessed are the peacemakers, the ones who initiate peace, the ones who aim for peace, the ones who make peace. Blessed are those people. Second Corinthians five, we are ambassadors. We're agents of reconciliation. That God has reconciled us to him. And we are meant to be agents of reconciliation to the world. And so when we stop with number three, like just forgive, it's about your healing, has nothing to do with the other person. These are some of the things we say. We miss out on scripture. I don't know how you can be an ambassador of reconciliation and that just be in your head. That has to be with another real life person. And so we can swing to the end of the spectrum one way or the other, extreme ways, And what I would say is, don't do that. Aim for reconciliation. If they don't respond, as far as it depends on you, though, aim for reconciliation. Aim for peace. Man, some of my favorite stories as a pastor are those marriages that seem too far gone. They're on the brink of divorce or they actually got divorced and God brings them back together. And they don't just forgive in their head. Like they they actually reconcile. 
Some of my favorite stories in the church are when two people are at odds with one another and there's years and years and years of conflict, but then they repent and they forgive and there's restored relationship. I think if Jesus beat death, if Jesus rose again in victory, I think it's possible that he can help your relationship overcome that conflict. Amen? Now, some of you are thinking like about abuse and all those things. This is a family service and I'm trying to keep my time tight and I'm already doing a horrible job. So, um, I, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, tell that to Kyle later. I'm just kidding. Um, no, but here, man, I'd love to talk with you more about abuse. I, I know there's, there, there's some cases where there is uh, things in your life where you're like, man, I don't think it's safe. I don't know if I can trust that person. And I would say, you're probably right. And the Bible is clear about boundaries. And just because you forgive somebody, you don't invite, like we lock our doors at home, right? You, you forgive the, the perpetrators, but you still lock your doors. That, that's a wise thing to do. And so what I would tell you is if you've experienced abuse, that's why we have a pastoral staff. That's why we have a prayer team. And we'd love to talk with you more about that. But here's where we'll end, is why forgiveness? The first thing is God commands it. If you notice, Paul said you must forgive. It's a command. It's not an option to forgive. But then the second thing is forgiveness is a gift. My favorite part of this, this passage is that we forgive each other. How? As the Lord has forgiven you. Earlier, Colossians chapter two, it says this, God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt. Many of you, you're having a hard time forgiving somebody else because you haven't first embraced the forgiveness of God for your own sin, for your own wrong. And that's where it starts. You forgive as you have been forgiven that we all have this debt before God. It's a sin debt. We have it at the inception of our lives. And all we do is just add to that. And it's like for you that have done your taxes, you know, and you do them by yourself and you see that, that number, it starts to turn red and it starts to, to show you how much you owe the government. Don't you just love that time of year? And you start to see that, and that, that, that's your whole life. Like every day there's, there's sinful thoughts and words and, and deeds and there's wrong you've done to not a sinful person, but to a holy and perfect God. And you've incurred debt, like that guy in Matthew 18, like $400 billion worth of debt that you cannot repay, no matter your church attendance, no matter your Bible meet reading, no, no matter how much you try to forgive others and muster up the strength, no, no matter what you do, you cannot forgive, cancel that debt. But Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, he canceled it on your behalf. And he took all of your sin, past, present, and future, omission and, and commission. He took all of your sin upon himself at the cross so that your debt could be canceled. Amen. So that you could be forgiven. And many times we start with, hey, forgive that other person. Just do it like you're supposed to do it. And no, that's the wrong starting point. We have to embrace forgiveness before we can extend it. And that's how we're going to end today. Uh, we're gonna do baptisms. We're gonna celebrate that we have been forgiven when we trust in Jesus Christ, that all of our debt has been canceled because of Jesus Christ, if we place our faith in him. 
And so we're going to celebrate some people that have already done that. And we're going to invite some people that haven't done that to do that right now. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I, I know that we're about to, to sing a song and see some people get baptized and celebrate. But I just believe that there's some people in here who need to do business with you. There's some people in here, God, that have been hurt for sure. And they don't know how to handle it. And God, I pray that you would let them know right now that you see them and you believe them. But God, you would let them know the way to experience healing in the midst of the herd is, is forgiveness. And God, they wouldn't honestly start with that other person. They would start with the forgiveness they've received first in you before they ever try to give it to somebody else. God, that we might be a people who saturate in your forgiveness for us. We're so in tune with it that as Paul makes it seem so clear, as we have been forgiven, we forgive other people. And so God, I pray right now for the, the men and women, even kids in this room who haven't put their trust in you, who haven't first received your forgiveness. God, I just pray that they would stop listening to me and start talking to you. That they would tell you, Jesus, I give you my sin. I give you my, my life. Jesus, I believe that you died and you resurrected on my behalf for all of my sin, for all of my wrongdoing. And I ask you to forgive me freely, fully, finally in Jesus. If you're sitting there right now and you haven't ever prayed that prayer, I would ask you just to pray it right now, right where you're seated. You don't have to get the words exactly right. Just tell Jesus, I give you my sin. I give you my life. Forgive me by the blood of your cross. Heal me. Help me to forgive other people, not by my own strength, but by yours. And I, I believe if you just prayed that prayer that God did forgive you, that he gave you the possibility to forgive others. And I would just ask you to have the courage to come down front, my right or my left, and talk to somebody on our prayer team. They'll instruct you on how to get changed and we have a place for you. And man, we'd love to celebrate that you have been forgiven today that you now have the possibility to forgive others. And so in a moment, we're gonna start singing and you're gonna have the opportunity to do that.